Well, I'm always uh, thankful for time away with family, um, but it's always uh, good to get back and uh, be able to stand before you and proclaim God's Word. I thank Stephen Wright. He is actually with some family today um, for uh, filling in last week and for uh, continuing our study in the epistle to the folks at Rome, to the Romans. So if you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. You know, there's some Sundays that I stand up here and, and when I finish, I believe that I have stated faithfully what God would desire for you to hear and for me to speak. And then there are other days that I stand up here and I'm like, man, I left something on the plate and we need to hear more of that. We need to kind of cut that up some more and chew on it. And so what I would like for us to do today is take a step back and then continue with our step forward in Romans. So I'm going to Look at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 down through verse 11, and then we will begin um, in chapter 6 and continuing our walk. Because uh, two weeks ago, I was in Romans 5, 1 through 11. Stephen was in verses 12 through the end of the chapter, verse 21, last week, and we'll continue that journey. But the verses on the screen start in verse number 5, I believe, and here's what Paul states to the folks at Rome. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, Verse 6 states, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God, but God, verse 8 states, shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His, by Christ, by Jesus's. Life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come and I ask God today that we would see that we are more than just forgiven. Father, yes, we have have this nature that our great, 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 all the way back father, Adam, has given us because we are all sons of Adam. 
But Lord, for those of us that are here, it's not just that you took sin away from us, that you forgave us of those sins. If we have bowed the knee, if Lord, if we have confessed with our mouth that your son Jesus is Savior and Lord, it's not just that we're forgiven, there is so much more. So Father, help me to explain that, help us to clearly understand what Paul, what you desired to get across, not just to the people at Rome in the first century, but Father, 20 plus centuries later, to a body of believers who are sitting this morning in this room, needing to hear from you, needing this encouragement, needing this challenge, needing this word for what you have in store for us this week. God, might might we be able to see your love? Might, Might we be able to see, Father, that there is so much more than just being forgiven. So God, use me this morning, I pray, to bring glory and honor to your name, for you deserve it. Father, there is no other name under heaven whereby we can call upon and be saved outside the name of Jesus. And I ask it in his name. Amen. We find ourselves in the middle of one of the greatest letters ever written. One of the the toughest letters possibly to grab a hold of, to grasp and to understand. But if you and I take it verse by verse or section by section, paragraph by paragraph, and we, we have this ramp that we are just continuing to walk on and we are continuing to study and, and live through and walk through, we see Paul write to those that he had never seen before, but those that he loved in Christ, challenge, encouragement, we see him just write some massive mountains of the faith in this letter. Entitled this section, The Exchanged Life, from chapter 4 through chapter 8, as we see Paul get past where they were, that they were all just full of sin. They were born into sin and that you and I were born into sin and we sin by our nature and we sin by our choice and now he is giving them an answer to the problem, which the problem is sin and the answer is Jesus. And in this passage, we see that we are more than forgiven In verses 5, excuse me, verse 6 down through 11 of chapter 5, we see that we are also loved. How are we loved? Who is it that loves us? And the person that loves us is God. He loves you. He loves me. There, There is nothing that you can do to make God love you any more than he already loves you. Let that sink in for a second. There is nothing that you can do to make the God of the universe, the the one who created you, the the one who, who reigns in splendor and in glory, in majesty and power and might, the one who is amazing there in the heavenlies. There is nothing that you can do to make him love you 
an ounce more than he loves you right now. But as we allow that to sink in and as we meditate on that, there is something else that we need to allow into our minds. He loves you. And just as, if there is, just as there is nothing that you can do to make him love you more, there's nothing that you can do to make him love you less. Your week might have been a week where you just failed. And, I mean, you just blew it. You blew it with your mouth. You blew it with your mind. You blew, you blew it with your actions. And you are coming in here and you are just a whoop puppy. I mean, you just, your head's down and you're like, there is just no way in the world. There is. And that way is bricked one after another after another with God's love. Because everything that you do and everything that I do or everything that you and I don't do, it doesn't make him love us more or less. And you and I need to put that in our mental crock pots, so to speak, and let that aroma permeate our lives just a bit. Because this passage describes for you and for me how much God loved you. For while you were weak, some translations put it this way, while you were dead, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then he gives a, kind of a, a picture or a story, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die but here's how much God loves you and here's where and when he loved you. But God shows or he demonstrates his love for you and for me, for us, that in, in that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. The proof for his love for you and the proof for his love for me in that passage is not that he waits until you and I pull up our bootstraps and we tie our boots and we wade off in there and we clean ourselves up or we, we try our very best. No, he said, while you were far from me, while you were an enemy against me, while you could not stand me, I loved you. And I demonstrated that love by sending you, by sending you, by sending me, by sending you, my very best. While you and I were sinners against Almighty God, while we lived day in and day out, Christ died for us. Now, that's easy for us to understand because we're 20 plus centuries after this was written. Think about it from their point of view. They're in the midst of their lives, and it is somewhere in the early 60s A.D. that they are receiving this letter that this man by the name of Paul wants to come see them. They've heard about him. They've never seen him. He wants to come and be a part of what God is doing in Rome, and he is going to get there in just a few short months. He's not getting there the way that he had hoped. He's not getting, coming there freely. He's coming there as a prisoner, and he's coming there in chains. But he is coming, and before he gets there, he writes this letter to them describing what he has heard and what he has seen and what he desires 
from them. And some of them might be 60 years old, and some of them might have been 30 when Christ died, literally, physically. And he is writing to them saying, you know what, while you were living your life, and and you were on this trajectory that you had set out, there was this God of the universe who loved you even in your sin and sent his very best for you. And that should change the trajectory of your life, and it should change the trajectory of our lives, of my life. And he wants that to get across, that there's more to just being forgiven. You are forgiven loved and how are you loved you're loved through this demonstration through this gift that God gave his son Jesus since therefore we have now been justified since we have been looked at by God just as if we had never seen sin because we have accepted him Paul writes to those at Rome in verse 9 since we've been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. This past week, I sat in a home and um, was teaching down at the Warrior Center in uh, for John Edmonds and the guys down there. And we were in Ephesians chapter 5. And in Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about the sons of disobedience and the wrath of God. And we, and we sat there and we talked about God's wrath. And you know, you and I live, we live in a free country. We are independent people. And we, for the most part, we have grown up, possibly, more than likely, we have grown up in a culture that, that is Christian. We understand, we see, we have heard church term after term after term. And we think, you know what, we're okay, we're all right. We understand the lingo, we understand the verbiage, the vocabulary. But when it says that word right there, the wrath of God. This isn't like a 30-06 bullet. It's not like a 9mm. It's not even a cruise missile. It is the largest nuclear weapon that has ever been pointed at anything. And its hair, the target in the crosshairs, is your forehead. The wrath of God was focused on you. And the wrath of God was focused on me. The wrath of God was focused on those in Rome. And it was because of the love that the Father had for everyone that were in the crosshairs. It was the love that the Father had for every single person that He sent His Son to stand in the way so that His wrath would be poured out on Him instead of on you. His wrath. His justice, His righteousness must be accounted for. And it must be accounted for by you or it must be accounted for by me or it must be accounted for by Him. And He became the just and the justifier by giving His Son. 
How much more shall we be saved? If we're justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from this wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled by the death of His Son, much more now that we have been reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. It was the blood of Jesus that gave you a way, gave me a way to be saved. But it was by His resurrection that you and I have life afresh and we have it new. My first pastorate, there was a mentor of mine. His name was Houston Adkins, an older gentleman. He was in his 70s when I came to know him. And he always used this term. Always used this term. He said, Christianity is more caught than taught. And that's so true. Christianity is more caught than taught. I could stand up here and I could teach you and I could teach you, I could show you, I could show you, but it is more caught by you watching me live my life out, by me watching others, you live your lives out, by us watching each other. It is more caught than it is taught. So that when you go to your workplace and I go to my workplace and you come in contact with somebody in the line in front of you or behind you or at the gas pump or at the house or the neighbor, they are watching you and they're watching me and it is more caught than taught. But something else it is, just for another one-liner, so to speak, Christianity is received. It is not achieved. There is nothing that you can do to save yourself. And God shows us that in this passage. As Christians, as a Christian, that love is given not just for forgiveness sakes. No, God has bigger plans than just loving you to forgive your sins. Paul continued this argument in verses 12 through 21, and Stephen spoke through that this past week. If you were here, you heard it. If not, then uh, let me just give you... The contrast, there is Adam and there is Christ. There is the first Adam and there is the second Adam. In the first Adam, everybody died. In the second Adam, there is the opportunity for us to have life if we accept him. And God has given us this second Adam, i.e. Jesus Christ. And those who receive the abundance of this grace in verse 17 and the free gift of righteousness, they reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You and I have been loved, and we have been loved in such a way that God brings us to Himself. Not just to forgive us, but to allow us to be his son and his daughter. Second this morning, it's not just forgiveness. Read with me and look with me in, verse, in chapter 6 as we read the first few verses there. And we see this second point that we are more than forgiven. You and I, we're dead. So let's look at that. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. 
How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, who have been immersed, who have been put under in Christ Jesus, you and I were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, you and I too, we too might walk in newness of life. All right, so what does Paul mean by died to sin? He doesn't mean this. In this verse, he he is not telling you and he's not telling me, okay, we've died to sin, so therefore we're not going to be tempted ever again. If I were to ask you to raise your hands and um, publicly declare, all right, I was tempted this week. I was tempted this morning. I was tempted five seconds ago. Every single one of us this week, whether you have bowed the knee with Christ and you are a Christian, you are a son or a daughter of God, or you have never done that, there is still temptation and there is still sin. He is not saying, hey, since you have become a Christian, everything that was bad is going to be good. Everything, every struggle, every temptation, every trial that you're going to... No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, all right, what is he saying then? He doesn't mean that you're gradually moving away from sin throughout your life, that you're gradually getting more and more righteous. No, he says that you are dead, that that it is already something that has occurred in you, that you are dead to sin. Before you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you had a master. You were in bondage, you were in slavery, you were in chains to this one master. And this one master was given you and me because he was the prince of this area of the universe, i.e. of the world. His name is Lucifer or Satan, the devil, and he is master and he ruled over you. And because you had chains and you were in bondage, you were not free. And that sin was a master over you. And now that Christ not only died for you, He rose from the grave and He lives and you have bowed the knee and you have confessed with the mouth. You have been baptized into His death and also as we see here, Paul telling the folks at Rome in chapter 6, baptized not just into his death, but also into his life. You were buried by this baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. So, you and I can still sin, yes. That temptation is still raging. It's still coming at you. It's coming at different levels. There's there's these minimal temptations. There's these medium size, and then there's these just monumental. You're like, how in the world am I going to get through this? There's no way that I can not sin. God says, yes, in the minimal, in the medium, and in the monumental, there are ways that I have given that you can walk through this without sinning, because you 
are dead. And it's not that you're mostly dead. No, you are dead. The great cinematic film, The Prince's Bride. What are you laughing at? I hadn't even got to the good part. If you have not seen this 1987 film, I don't know how you have lived. But there is this scene where the dread pirate Roberts is dead. And his two counterparts take him, and Andre the Giant is just, he's like a sack of potatoes, and he is carrying him to Miracle Max. Miracle Max is in this hut out from the country because he has been banded from the kingdom and from the king and his son, Humperdinck. And this guy's dead. And he goes in to Miracle Max, and they say, we need a Miracle Max, please. And they're like, why in the world would, no. And he pumps air in him, and he says, why do you have any reason to live? And it's true love. And I've watched this too many times, I know. And, and, and they say this, that there's no greater reason to live. But here's the deal. Miracle Max says he's not totally dead. He's just mostly dead. No. If you're dead, you're dead. There's no degrees of death. There, there's no ninth degree of death and first degree of death. No, if you're dead, you are lifeless. And what he is trying to get across is this for you and for me to understand that the master who was over you has no control on your life anymore. Sin in your life and in my life, yes, it happens. It occurs. And I do it because of my nature and I do it because of my choice. And you do as well. But there is no master over that for you anymore. The church, no, it's even, it's even more personal than that. If I and if you would truly understand that you were dead to sin, that it does not rule or reign over you anymore, your day would be different, your week would be different, your life would be different, and so would mine. Paul is trying to get that across. God is trying to get that across because you and I are dead to sin. All this is good and fine. All this for you and for me is great. For us to write a couple of notes down on the bottom of the bulletin or maybe to the right or to the left. But he wants so much more. He wants you to apply it. He wants you to put that into your life today. And he wants me to put it into my life today. Third and final point, hopefully we'll uh, drive it home for us. And it continues there in verse number 5 of chapter 6. Let me read that for us. He says this, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. I wish my mom was here because that word is a word that she could describe for you so much better than I can. 
You don't think that word is there. Um, you don't think that word united. It's in the verse twice. You don't think that word has anything to do whatsoever with horticulture. But that's what it is. It is a term for you and me to understand and see this picture that you and I have been united. You and I have been grafted in. That's the word. You have been grafted in with him in a death like his. And because of that, you and I shall certainly be grafted in to a resurrection like his. What happens when you graft something in plant-wise? You take a shoot or you take a branch of one and you cut a hole, you cut a, a, a slice and you place it in there, wrap it up so that the nutrients of that tree, everything that is pumping into that tree comes into that little branch that you just put there. Every fiber. Every nutrient, everything for life that is in the tree itself becomes a part of that branch and there is life. And you have been united with him, grafted in with him in this death that is like his. And you shall certainly be united, grafted in with him in a resurrection like his. Now, Paul writes this letter, and they're reading this for the first time, maybe. Maybe you're reading this for the first time. What you need to understand is he's going to come back to that in a couple of chapters. And when he comes back to that in chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 11, and, and he talks about being grafted into this tree and being a tree of olives and wild olives and all that, He wants them to continue to understand this phrase, this statement. We have been united, and we shall certainly be united. Something has happened in the past, and something certainly will happen in the future. And in between what happened in the past and what will happen out in the future is this thing called life. And because of what happened in the past and because of what we're looking forward to in the future should change how you and I live Monday through Sunday. But so often, you and I come on Sunday morning and we walk in those doors and we sit in these seats and It's the only time that we open this book. And because this is the only time that we open this book is when we're in this room. Our life outside of this room is very similar to everybody else's lives outside of this room. But what is contained in this book And what took place some 2,000 years ago at a place called Calvary and on a cross should change everything. It's not just that you're forgiven and you can live however you want to live. He says, by no means. Everything that you have done in the past and how you have lived in the past, let it stay there and understand that you have this one person, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, who lives in you that your life this week might be different. 
Father, we need, God, we need to see that. God, we need to, Lord, as I stated, we need to allow that aroma to just permeate in the room that we find ourselves in. That that, oh, Father, would seep into our minds and even past that, into our lives. And one action and one thought and one day would lead to other actions and thoughts and words and days. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we can read those words on that page. Father, we can walk out of here and not be changed. But God, I pray that you would do a work. Father, that those that are in this room, God, you would speak into their hearts and into their lives. Let them know more than being forgiven. We're changed. We're dead, yet there is life, and it is the life of your son, Jesus Christ, who lives. Father, I pray that in Christ's name.